Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Prepare ourselves for his words. Gracious guys, we gather in this place. We gather at home. We gather on the road. We gather from Alaska where Brent and Kathy are. Wherever we gather, Lord, we are thankful for the chance we have to worship you. And as we gather this morning, may the words from Ephesians 3, this powerful chapter that closes off what life looks like in Christ. May they speak into our hearts right now about being rooted and grounded in the right things and not the wrong ones. The Lord is opening us up. Free us from whatever has kept us chained and bound this week. And allow us to be able to experience your goodness and your grace this morning through these words. In Jesus Christ's name, I ask on behalf of all those gathered here and all those gathered everywhere, and everybody in all those places said together, Amen. So as I said, as you look at the U version event, you'll find now on the Facebook page and eventually on the website, you'll find that we have the bulletin there, we have the U version link, and we also have the connection that comes here in paper form uh, on Sunday mornings. All three are available to you to be able to look at. As I said, this is the end of the first part of the letter to the Ephesians as we look at rooted and grounded in love. The first three chapters, one through three, don't include many requirements. There are no commands. They don't tell us how to live as much as they tell us what God has done for us. The next three chapters, four through six, tell us how to respond to God's grace and are full of essentials and commands. So basically, we have grace coming in and we have grace going out. And so Paul understands how difficult this is to get because he includes this prayer for believers to understand grace coming to us in chapter 1, but he also then almost like continues this prayer in chapter 3. And he is praying for us to experience grace. You ever put a lot of work into a gift and given it to someone with the hopes that they would like it as much as you want them to? Maybe you've written a letter or a card. This week, Hannah did that for Susan, made a handwritten card for her birthday and gave it to her. Or maybe it's when they read that, they would hopefully realize how much you thought about them and care for them. That's what Hannah wanted. Hit the mark. Maybe you spent a bunch of time knitting a sweater or a hat. And you hope they were happy with what you made. Maybe it's how children feel when they draw a picture or make a craft and they bring it to their parents. And if their parents were to look at it and say, you could have done better and throw it away, do you think the child will want to make another picture or craft? We want people to receive the things we've prepared.
prepared for them. And Paul has brought us in the Ephesians this gift to be looked at and to be loved. He's brought them the gift that God worked so hard to prepare. Hand-knit. Hand-made. Grace. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, God has given His grace, His love given to us without having to do anything but believe in Jesus. And even before that, in prevenient grace, the grace that comes before And Paul was really asking, will we receive what God has given us? Or will we put it away because God could have made something better? That's really what he's almost asking us throughout all of Ephesians 3. So Paul concludes life, the life part of gearing up, and what has become to be called the prayer for the church. But it isn't a prayer necessarily. Because it's not addressed to God, but to the hearers of the church. And it's a prayer that he hopes we would hear too. And it begins in verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. I mean, notice how Paul says he bowed his knees kneel down other translations. For us today, that just seems like it's normal. Sometimes we bow when we pray, right? But for the Jews in the first century, it would have gotten their attention for sure. Why? Because it's not customary for Jews to kneel when praying. You see, they would stand and rock back and forth as you see them at the Western Wall in Jerusalem doing today, for instance. You've seen pictures like this. They don't kneel when they pray. They pray just like that all the time. For a Jew to kneel, it was an extraordinary event. For instance, we see Jesus kneeling in prayer in the garden. That's a tip-off that we kind of miss because we just think he kneeled and prayed everywhere. But I think Paul is kneeling here because of the impact of the revelation he has been given to share. He's kneeling and showing before the Father again with deep emotion. That's how important this chapter is to Paul. That he's saying this And much like Ben talked about last week, and kudos to Ben for for presenting and bringing a message for the first time in his life when his best friend didn't bother to ask him if he ever preached before. And uh, he did an amazing job. Just like Ben asked about therefore, we have to ask about for this reason. What reason? What's the reason he's talking about? Well, he spends the first part of the whole letter actually explaining the reason. And we've looked at it over the last couple of Sundays from different ways. What's the reason? It's because of the immeasurable grace of God. That's the reason. That's why he writes this. And because in that grace, 
all are welcome. All are included. All. And for Paul, all means all. Some of the rest of them had to struggle with all. Surely not Gentiles, they said. Surely not pagans. Surely not enemies. Surely not those who live who are just too different from ours. Who don't speak our language. Who don't dress like we do. Who don't think like we do. Work like we do. Not all. Surely somebody is to be left out. No, Paul says, all means all. And for this reason, I fall on my knees in awe of God. Doesn't it make you just want to fall on your knees in awe of God that everybody is included in God's kingdom? That's an amazing piece. An amazing statement. And in order for us to be able to receive God's grace the way He intends, He says, and for it to change us in a positive way, we need a change of heart. Amen? Only a heart change is going to make a difference. We need something deep inside of us to move. And that is exactly what Paul is praying for today. He's praying for our hearts that we can receive God's grace. I don't know about you, but I can talk and talk about God's grace. It doesn't change me a bit. We can talk about it all day long. We can study about it all day long. We can read about it all day long. But if we don't live into it, if we don't let it get a hold of our heart, it isn't going to change us one bit. Amen? Because grace requires a heart change, not a head one. Living in the headspace won't help us. But the heart space, if God gets a hold of my heart and our hearts and your heart, not only will we be appreciative of God's gift of grace, we'll be able to live differently because of God's gift of grace. That's what Ephesians is talking about. The change of heart that leads to how we actually change our lives. Paul prays for four prayer requests in this prayer. And the first one is this. We pray for inner strength through the Spirit. Verse 16. I pray that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through the Spirit. Catch those words. I pray that you would be strengthened. You, being the church, are us. Paul is praying that we might come to understand something of what is going on here. Have you ever lost your inner strength? I know I have. Something happens and you just lose it. And you can't seem to find it again. You lose your strength to believe. You lose your strength to be a good husband or a wife or child or brother or sister. You lose your strength to be a good Christian. 
even if just for a moment. But you see, the thing is, is sometimes we have to lose our strength to find God's strength. Amen? And hear me, folks. We've got to lose our strength to find God's strength. And that's really hard for a lot of us. To not rely on our own strength to do something, but allow God's strength to be there. There's a phrase that I want to make sure you get into your heads, especially as we go into the days ahead once again. And that is, everybody is going through something. Everybody is going through something. Say that with me, both here and at home. Everybody is going through something. When somebody makes you angry, you need to say, everybody is going through something. When you get mistreated or when it doesn't go the way you want it to, everybody is going through something. When somebody gets in your face and treats you horribly, everything, everybody is going through something. Because everybody is. Everyone here and at home has something that is stressing them out that they wish was different. I can't tell you how disappointed I am that we're not going to have this event tonight. And I am so over this. I'm so over all of it not the disease. I'm over the people who can't talk to each other, who can't solve their problems, who destroy each other and tear each other apart, who post things on Facebook towards one another. I'm so over the people. The disease is just a symptom. But it isn't the cause. Insert anything you want. Everybody is so stressed out. As my friend Rick often says, they've gotten bad kibble and they just keep eating it. And I'm tired of it. And maybe even trying to handle it, but just keeps getting worse and worse. What if God wants us to get weaker before we can get stronger? What if we actually need to be weak in order to understand God's grace? To really understand God's grace. Because those who are strong don't need grace. They got it all figured out. They don't need God. And so second, he says, we pray for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. Verse 17, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I feel like I already said that. And although the two verses are connected, the first half of this is its own prayer request. You see, when Moses built the tabernacle, God's glory came down in the form of a cloud and filled it, right? When King Solomon built the temple, God's glory came down in the form of a cloud and filled it. 
And now Paul is praying that God's glory through the Holy Spirit would dwell and fill our hearts with Christ. So my friends, what do you fill your hearts with? Too many news articles? Too much Facebook? Too much anger and fear and anxiety? What do you fill your hearts with that gets you through the day? And every day? When it's the same day over and over again. Last week I wore a pen to staff meeting from Groundhog's Day that had 6 o'clock on it from the movie and said, you know, it's the same thing. There ain't no difference coming in ahead. It's like I get up every morning and I hit the alarm and get up and it's playing Sunny and Cher and I'm not in a good way and it's going on and going on and going on. So what do you fill yourself with to not get lost? When we went out west... Um, the gas pumps, you know, here you have regular gas pump, right? What color is that, right? It's black, right? It's black, right? Don't use a green pump, right? Because the green pump has what in it? Diesel. Don't put the green pump into your car. Well, out west, they have a blue pump. Guess what the blue pump is for? Snowmobiles. So there's a snowmobile pump at the pumps. So you're like going, you got to make sure you read all the instructions before you know which fuel to put in. I've seen a red one too, which is like E85 a lot of times, things like that. So there's four pumps there, and you got to decide which pump you're going to use. Have you ever filled up your gas tank with the wrong fuel? If you have, you'll remember it the rest of your life and never do it again. You ever put diesel into your, you know, regular engine? I used to have a diesel rabbit years ago, old diesel rabbit, you know, and you used diesel and it rattled like this. Yeah, and in the, in the winter you get to plug it in so it started up. Got great gas mileage though. And instead of filling up with unleaded and you put diesel, what's going to happen to your car? It's going to be damaged. You're going to be getting a new car. If you want a new car, I guess it's okay. You just go ahead and stick the diesel in there and say, oops, my mistake, sorry. But if you want to keep your car, instead of giving you extra power, what does it do? It doesn't work. You don't put the right kind of fuel into your car. It's not going to work, no matter how hard you try. It's going to cause a lot of damage because your engine is designed to run on, for the most part nowadays, unleaded gas. Ever leaded gas? God has built us to run on God. God's our fuel. We can't be fueled by anything else, and when we are fueled by something else, it will drive our actions and determine how we act and what we do and what we say and who we are. And yet, most of the time, we are running on empty of God and running on the full fuel of something completely different. The people in Williamson County, do you think they're bad people who all gathered in that room and got into that situation? No. 
One of them is actually an act, was an actor from Good Luck Charlie, a show we watched. I was embarrassed to see the way she acted. God built us to run on God. And we run on God's Holy Spirit who is centering our hearts in Christ Jesus. And if we fill with something else, we are going to give out something else because that's how it works. And our car becomes useless. Our car, our body, our mind, our soul, our heart. Third, we pray that we would be rooted and grounded in love. As the verse says, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. But what does it mean to be rooted and grounded in love? Paul is using two word pictures to express what he's praying for. We see it in one of the verses we've used here before for small groups and for growing. Colossians 2, 6-7. It's how we got to grow in the first place. The first is that of a plant or a tree. To be rooted in something is to dive deep into the soil and draw your life from it. Right? Look at this tree. Those roots are drawing, not only from the dirt, but from the water. On the water's edge, it grows like Real Foot Lake. All the trees that grow in the water after the big earthquake, they still grow. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells the parable of different soils and says the seed the sower scatters is the gospel message, the the good news, and he scatters some seed on rocky ground, which is someone who hears the word and first receives it with joy. They're so excited, but they don't have any roots. And what happens to the seed that is scattered on rocky ground? Since they have no roots, it only lasts a little time. And when trouble or persecution comes, they quickly fall away. You see, a life that's rooted in the gospel won't fall away when times get tough. And they will. And they are. There are going to be days and weeks and maybe months ahead when grace feels far away, but that's when we need to have our roots deep in love. Love for each other and love for God. Deep in our understanding of God's love for us. We want deep roots in God's grace. Because a believer who is rooted in God's grace and love won't walk away when the storms come. Amen? The two things we are called to do is to love God and love each other. There is nothing else. It all boils down to that. How good are we at doing that? Well, if the world's the example outside of our doors, and if that example comes inside the church where they tear each other apart, I listened to my friends talk this week of church council meetings where they sat for an hour and a half and people yelled at each other the entire time. My privilege. My right. I'm sorry your kid can't, has, has to wear a mask. I don't care. They actually said that. Why should I be punished because I got a vaccine? They actually literally yelled at each other for an hour and a half with no consensus whatsoever. In the church. 
Many of my friends are ready to call it quits because of their people, not because of the virus. Love God, love others. You see, if, we're, if you're rooted in love, you won't walk away when your church family hurts you, and they're going to. Or the leadership does something you don't like, and they will. Or when ministry doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and it does. Or when something goes terribly wrong in your life, and it will too. If you're grounded in love, you'll be able to receive God's grace and extend it to those around you who really need it. How can we receive that grace and not extend it to others? Why? Because we're selfish. We're sinful people who think of ourselves first. It's automatic. But grace thinks of the other. Grace thinks of the there is something somebody is struggling with that I don't even know what it is kind of thought before I ever open my mouth. And that's hard. It's really hard. And the last part says grounded. The NIV says established, which is another uh, word for foundation. This is a picture of a lighthouse in France. This picture has been on my wall since my college days. It's upstairs. As you walk in, if you've been in my house, you've probably seen it. This lighthouse is built out over the waves. There's a little guy standing in the middle. That's how big the waves are that have hit this lighthouse for hundreds of years and not taken it out. Why? Because of the foundation. When they built this lighthouse, they built it to last, to go through anything that could could hit it, just like this. That's one wave. It's getting pounded by waves every single day, some larger, some smaller, but that's the deal. A house with a good foundation won't fall when a tornado comes. You've seen this time and time again in our own area. The houses that are obliterated are poorly made, not built on foundations to last, and the ones who aren't built better, they last. The ones that aren't, an EF0 and EF1 comes through and wipes them out like they're kindling. The foundation. The easiest thing to do when the going gets tough is to turn away from each other. When we get stressed, when we find ourselves in conflict, we turn on each other. Instead of drawing strength from one another and saying, you know what, I need you to help me get through this. I don't need to carry this burden anymore. I don't need to carry this conflict. I gave up decision making for COVID because it was killing me. I don't want that in my life. I don't need that in my life. It is hard and stressful enough to deal with all the other stuff than taking on the weight of the world and the problems that a group can solve in its own way. Back then we couldn't do that. Church council fully functional again. They did an amazing job. They didn't tear each other apart. But if we turn away from loving each other, if we actually do that in the midst of our crisis, we will become uprooted and not grounded. If we destroy the relationships because of our believing differently, it's really hard to restore those again. 
once you've gone down that road. If you're in that Williamson County board meeting after having done that, being seen on television at your absolute worst, it's really hard. And I know some of the board members, like Brad Fiscus, you might too. You might know his wife, Michelle, who got fired from the state because she was trying to do her job. I know her. I know her integrity. I know that what she said is true. That's how it works. Relationship. This naturally leads to the fourth prayer request. We pray for our hearts to grasp the greatness of Christ's love. Right? It's that verse, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. Right? Every measurement you could think of for something, right? And his book, Ephesians for You, by Pastor Richard Kokin, he describes what each of these descriptions of Christ's love mean to us. He says the wide part illustrates his accepting love. Say accepting. Wow, you're still with me. That's awesome. See, Christ's love is for the Jew and the Gentile. The white and the black, the person of color, the Hispanic, the Asian, the rich, the poor, the middle class, the low class, the trailer trash, the grade A students or the dropouts or somebody in between, those struggling with obvious sins and those struggling with hidden sins because here's the kicker. You can hide your sins all day long sometimes and no one will ever know what's inside of you, but God knows. God knows that brokenness. And the fact is that Christ is available for anyone no matter what you have done or haven't done. That Christ opens his wide his arms and embraces anyone no matter how broken. That's the wide, see? You can't put your arms far enough to incorporate what the wide looks like. Then there's the long. And the long illustrates his lasting love. Say lasting. There's nothing you have done, can do, or will do that can separate you from the love of Christ if you're one of his. Paul already talked about how God chose us in him before the creation of the world. Does that sound like there's any time then in your life that anything you can do that will ever be able to separate you from his love? No. Our actions don't do that. Not from His love. Then there's the high that illustrates His exalting love. Say exalting. So in Ephesians 2, 6-7, through 7, God promised to raise us up and seat us with Christ and then pour out this incomparable, incomparable riches of His grace on us in the coming ages. Because one day we're going to get to see how much goodness Christ really has in store for us. Amen? So much bigger than we can even imagine now. And then last, the deep illustrates His sacrificial love. Say sacrificial. See, the cross is like a well. When we were out west, we saw many of these deep, deep, things like the grand prismatic pool but they're smaller that go so deep that's why they're blue because they refract the light 
Some of these will go down up to 500 feet and you can almost see a couple hundred feet down. Deep, deep, deep. And in that deepness, the longer we look into this cross-shaped well, the deeper that Christ's love appears. When you think you've gotten to the deepest part of Christ's love, you haven't even started scratch the surface yet. You haven't even seen how deep it is when you begin to look down further and further and further into that because we've never seen the absolute deepness of what Christ's love looks like. It's the cross that Jesus took Himself up on and the full burden of God's you know, payment for this and then so that you and I, people who aren't loving enough, people who aren't gracious enough, people who choose self over others could be forgiven and saved. That's the whole point. You're not worthy, Shelley. I'm not worthy. None of us is worthy and yet we act like somehow we are because somehow we've arrived where none of us are worthy of Christ's love. We haven't looked into the depth of what it took to be able to get that and yet we act like somehow we've done enough. We've never done enough because you can't do enough. It's a gift. That's why it's grace. There's no way. And that's why he says in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. Knowledge won't get it. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he prays we might know the love of Christ is beyond knowledge. It's beyond knowing. So how do you know the unknowable? You let what's in your head get into your heart. Knowing it isn't going to help you. The heart knowledge will. Heart knowledge makes it a lot harder for us to be able to tear each other apart. Because then I have to consider you as a person, not as a problem. Until that heart knowledge gets to you, it's all just head knowledge. We can fight and bicker and have differing opinions on anything in the world. And if it never touches our heart, it's all just words. Heart knowledge. We have to get past our heads into our hearts. So to close, what are these four requests? We pray for inner strength through the Spirit. We pray for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith. We pray that we would be rooted and grounded in love and we pray for our hearts to grasp the greatness of Christ's love. We pray for hearts that can experience God's grace. My heart, in its own capacity, cannot experience God's grace. That's why Paul says prayer is so important. That although I can't change my heart, Christ can. And Christ's grace can fill my heart in the places where I have no place left myself. And we're reminded of His power in the closing two verses of 20 and 21 that tell us there is nothing that God cannot do. I love these two verses the best. The first, Now to Him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ever ask or imagine. What a verse! Right? And that our vision is so limited... We'll trust in the one who sees more and more and can work more miracles in a day than we can even possibly imagine. 
and far more, far more than we can ask or imagine about anything because we don't know how to ask or imagine. Our job is we'll just love together. That's the other important secret of this passage. All the yous are plural. They're not individual. It's not what you think. It's not what you believe. It's not what you are. The yous are us together. We do this better together. This thing learning to love. This living in hope thing. This being filled with the fullness thing. We do it. We know it. We experience better together. As my friend Rick would say, all y'all. Is that pretty good? You like that? Us all. Now that's worthy of a doxology, right? So Paul gives us a great one, the last verse. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And everybody said both here and at home, Amen. So I invite you to just sit in God's presence right now. What do you need to do to be able to move this head knowledge into your heart in the place you need to hear it the most so that you can be the Christian, the believer, the follower of Jesus He called you to be and not the person that you are now? Let's just soak in these words and pray to God to open our hearts.